Well, again, good morning, everyone. Pray that you're having a great morning. You're glad that you're here. You're ready to study the Word of God together. If you're new to fullness, again, welcome. We're glad that you're here. When you came in, you received a worship flyer or a bulletin, and in it is a outline of today's talk, today's message. If you'd like to follow along, if you'd like to take notes, you're free to, or you can just follow the screen and uh, to stay up with us. We're, we're finishing up a series right now called um, This Time. I got carried away there. I'm going crazy. Here we go. Called This Time. I got a new clicker and it's, uh, it's, it's a quick clicker. Um, we'll see how we do today. We're finishing up a series called This Time. Uh, the first part of the series talked about this time tomorrow, meaning what are you going to be doing 24 hours from this moment? That really what's the majority of your life is lived in the workplace. Uh, you spend more time at work than you definitely you spend in church. And yet many churches spend all of their time focusing on just your church time. And that we wanted to help you and to equip you for what you're going to be doing the majority of your life working. Or sleeping, some of us, but uh, mostly working. I can't help you with the sleep part, but the work part, uh, equipping you for the, the work and the school and everything you're going to be doing because there's this connection between faith and work. Uh, God cares about your work. Work matters to him and what you do in that arena and that sphere. Then we looked at a series called This Time Next Year, talking about marriage and the family. Where do you want your marriage and family to be a year from now? or two years from now, or five years from, from now, that um, the, the harvest that you, the, the things that you're seeing in your life now are based on things you planted earlier. And if you want things to be different in the future, then you need to plant seeds today for the life that you want for the future. It's a biblical principle about sowing and reaping. Um, you always reap what you sow. And so if you want to sow something different in your marriage, in your family, and your relationships in the days ahead, then start planting different seeds. And then we've been looking at uh, relationships, this time, this time forever, that relationships are what we take into eternity with us. And we're going to talk about that specifically today. We're going to talk about uh, relationships. Um, concerning relationships, I heard a comedian say one time, and I believe it's true, kind of about me, that um, uh, my friends tell me that I have an intimacy problem, but they, the problem is they don't really know me that well. It, you'll get it later. Um, loneliness is one of the major issues in our society. Uh, Cheryl quoted this statistic last week that was then in an article in the New York Times this past week that uh, loneliness causes more physical problems than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That it, it is having a, it's a national epidemic of loneliness. And when we think about loneliness, many times what we think about is um, you know, an elderly person sitting all alone on their couch. That's our picture of loneliness. But actually, in our society, a, a guy sitting in a bar surrounded by people can be just as lonely. 
We are a lonely generation, though we're more connected than any other generation that has preceded us. Connected in that we, we, we have devices that help us kind of stay in touch with one another. But actually, those devices are creating bubbles of loneliness around us. Because who we think are our friends are not really our friends. We don't really have contact with them. Now, many, many people don't know their neighbors, don't know the people living across the street from them. We, we live in an isolated environment. I, I've said in the past that for many of us, really, it's like we live in the bat cave. You know how Batman would drive up, this is an old illustration, how Batman would drive up, the, the door would flip open, he would drive in at like 100 miles an hour, the door would flip right behind him, and then he's hidden until he comes out at night again sometime. Uh, that's the way we live our lives. We live them in isolation where we just stay in our house. We have very little contact with people around us. And as a result, if you interview many, many people, you will find that they are indeed incredibly lonely. Uh, I was talking with the staff this morning before church, and some of, some of the loneliest people are actually in marriages. Because marriage, for some people, can be a very lonely and isolating place. Uh, Mother Teresa uh, said that uh, loneliness and the feeling of being uncared for and unwanted are the greatest poverty. We live in an age where loneliness is overwhelming us and to combat this loneliness we need to be very, very, very intentional in the way we live our lives. Uh, otherwise, um, all we're going to be doing is staying at home, watching football, playing video games, um, on our devices, looking at what the other people are lying about their lives um, and saying how great, great everything is. Ecclesiastes, Solomon addresses this issue when he, he talks, he says this, two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Power in relationships. Power in togetherness. I've said it many, many, many times that Christianity is in its basic nature relational. It's relational. It's a relationship with God through Jesus and it's relationship with one another. That really Christianity is not, I don't think, what you would term a religion in the sort of way that if you follow these rules, then you'll get to go to heaven. But rather... It's about a relationship with God. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us so that we might have eternal life. But as a result, we are adopted into the family of God. We get to call God Father. And we are in a living, incredible relationship with him. But it's not just me and God. It's us and God. It's the... The we factor, God is not looking just for a person after his name, but for a people after his name. He, he wants us together, and we have that relationship where we interact with one another. And in truth, relationships 
redemptive relationships, relationships in which we see people receive the love of God for themselves, are, is one of the few things we get to take to heaven with us. And that leads me to my first point, and really the whole idea of the sermon this morning, which is this. Relationships are eternal. Redemptive relationships are eternal. I want to look at um, a passage from 1 Corinthians 3 as I look at this, and another passage from Matthew. Now, I, I want to say this as I look at these passages. I want to acknowledge that in the scripture... It, Jesus and Paul are talking about many different things. And there's tiers of meaning in Scripture like they're in these passages like they're in many Scripture passages. But I want to look at it from the idea of relationships and the eternal aspect of relationships and kind of unfold that a little bit for us because I want you to catch the vision that relationships are really important. They're critical. And we'll see that as we go along. So first is this, and I've said it every week that I've preached on relationships so far, saying I want to get to this sermon. Well, now I'm here. Relationships are eternal. It says in first <clears throat> it says in first Corinthians somewhere, first Corinthians three, twelve through thirteen. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. Now, you may be looking at this passage and say, whoa, we made a big jump. How are we talking about relationships? We're talking about fire and judgment and the end of time and things that are going on. Well, what happens here is Paul is discussing this division that's happened in the church. By the way, if you read the book of Corinthians, you know, sometimes you picture this idea about um, these books of the Bible and these different places where Paul wrote, like Corinth. Oh, that must have been a great place, great church. I would have loved to be in the church at Ephesus. Or I got to tell you, Corinth was one screwed up church. They were in a mess. The, uh, if you just take it apart, they were having, they were so divided. I mean, they were so sinful. We, they got nothing. We, we got nothing on them today for sin in the church. I mean, they, they had it in measure. And they were very divided. One of the things that happened is Paul had gone in and started the church. He had, he had preached the gospel and planted a church. And then a guy named Apollos, who was a godly man evidently, came in and he followed and, and sort of watered the seed that Paul had planted. But now some people in the church were saying, hey, you know what? I like that Paul guy better. I'm going to follow him. And other people were saying, no, 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 no. I like that Apollos guy better. He's really a better speaker, better looking, um, better, you know, greater sense of humor, kind of like me. And so he, um, we're going to follow him. And Paul is saying, look, it doesn't matter. This is not the issue here. And as a matter of fact, what's going to matter is in eternity, on the day of judgment, everybody's works are going to be tried by fire. And what comes out of it, what survives that fire, so to speak, that's what really matters for eternity. And I believe that one of the things Paul is not only saying in this passage, but in other passages is this. One of the things that will come through the fire 
are the eternal relationships that we have of those who have followed Christ. Those lives we've invested in, those lives that have come to know Jesus in this life-changing relationship, those, that's one thing that will survive this fire of judgment. He's, he's, in this passage and others in the, that I'll refer to, he's saying relationships, redemptive relationships, relationships in which people come to know Jesus matter for all of eternity. Which leads me to the second point, which is this. If, if I'm going to, um, I, I'm getting older now, and I, I've been investing in, in a number of years to get ready for retirement. I, I'm looking at my retirement stuff. I'm, I'm not retiring soon. Don't panic. Uh, I can't afford to, uh, which is the point. Uh, if I had invested better when I was younger, I would have had a better return on my investment now. We all think about the idea of investment is this. I put a little bit now, right? And over time, it grows so that my investment is bigger. What bigger investment can you make in something than something that's going to be around for eternity? Right? So, it leads me to the second point, which is this. Invest. In <laughs> I'm getting there. Invest in relationships. Invest in relationships. You are going to invest in something. Invest in something that's going to be eternal. Because isn't the truth this, that what really matters is the thing that's going to be for eternity? 1 Corinthians 3, 12, going back to that passage, he says this, Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. And who made it grow? God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Again, there are many tears in this passage about the goodness of God, that really it's God who, who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and this is what I want you to see. We are God's fellow workers, but we're the ones... We're the ones sowing the seed. Who is the field? The people, the world, the church. You are God's field, God's building. So I, I think what he's saying is this. Look, what we need to do is take a seed. That's like an investment, right? Right? A seed is like an investment that we put in the ground and then God, somebody else may water it. But God is the one who makes it grow and come to life. So we need to invest in relationships. We need to invest in the eternal. We need to invest in the things that really matter. Here's the question. What are you spending all your time investing in? Things that are going to be just for this life or something that will be for eternity? Something that will matter for all time. Because this life is just a, according to the Bible, it's just a vapor. It's just a breath. But it seems like we spend all of our time focused on today and maybe tomorrow and maybe for when we retire. But instead, we need to focus on what's going to matter for all eternity. Paul goes on and says, 
uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, he, said, he says this, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? He's asking a question. What is it I'm going to glory in? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Do you see the aspect of celebration that Paul is talking about in eternity? That if I invest in these eternal relationships, the things that, that really matter, it's going to make a big difference. I, are we going to know each other in heaven kind of thing? Well, I, I believe so. I believe if, if Paul is going to rejoice, it's going to be his joy and his crown, then he's going to know the people, he's going to be, know those that he's invested in. Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, um, the special affection that the saints have in this world toward other saints who are their friends will in some respect remain in another world. I, I don't know how that picture looks. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Except that, it really, really matters. And we're going to know each other in heaven. Yesterday was my mom's birthday. Uh, my mom passed away, I think, eight years ago now. Um, and my dad passed away a little over a year and a half ago. And I was thinking about my mom. She would have been 80, um, 86, I think, uh, yesterday, if she had, was still alive. But I was just thinking about, I, I believe in my theology and the way Paul has stated things, I believe we'll know each other in heaven. I, will be, I believe that in some ways, the investment that my mom made in me with the gospel will be celebrated in some way. And all of her children and all the people she ministered to. 29 years ago this month, Kathy and I came from, we were living in Texas. We came to Alabama. I, I came, uh, are any from Baptist world? So when you come to interview at a church, uh, they, call, they, they say you come in view of a call. Have you heard that term? In view of a call. So there's a church, Vestavia Hills Baptist, where I was coming to interview to be minister of music. And uh, it was a complicated situation. Things were going on. So... Um, I, I, we were really praying through if God would have us do this because I really did not. I kind of said I'm never going to be full-time on staff at a church. Be, be careful what you say. I really thought I was going to be teaching in a college or university and then be part-time helping a church. But I had said I am not going to be in a church because I had seen church life and things that had gone on in church, and it really wasn't very pleasant, and it wasn't a future I was really wanting in any way. But anyway, this church had asked us to come and interview with them and to look at the church and to see if we had been a part. And so we came in, and um, um, I, I remember, let's just pretend that these sections are like that church, and uh, I was sitting kind of where the barbers are sitting over here. That's where Kathy and I sat. We had taken Jared to the nursery. He was like five, six months old. By the way, he had he'd spit up all over the one suit, you know, uh, I'd had uh, <laughs> to, to wear to church that morning. So I smelled really, really good as I went in this interview process. And, but I was sitting over here, and I looked over in the, the row 
right in front of me was this couple, and the guy was reading a magazine like this. <laughs> and it was, um, it was Larry and Jan Powell. I mean, this is like right out of the chute, right? This is like first Sunday, first time in Alabama. I could have sat anywhere in that church. And I sat right behind a guy who was reading a magazine that said fullness. And I don't think it was this exact cover. This is the only fullness magazine I could find. It ceased publication in the 80s. Um, so, yeah, it was a long time ago. I had no idea what God was going to do. I mean, none. none no idea what God was going to do in a relationship with Larry. But Larry invested in my life in ways that are unimaginable, and really it would take me the rest of the sermon to talk about all the different ways um, Larry has seen the good in me. And he's had a lot of reason not to see the good in me. You know, the closer you get to a person, the less good you see in them, right? You start to see the real them. It's like getting behind the curtain at the Wizard of Oz. You, you kind of see what is really like. I mean, your family really knows what you're like. And those that you've been in relationship with a long time have seen what you're really like. But I got to tell you, there would be no fullness if I, I don't think if I had sat on a different row and with what God had done. We've been on mission trips together. Uh, Larry has always been in love with technology uh, from the early days. <laughs> he, that's actually a video camera. We used to actually have to carry those around for those of you who are young and if we wanted to record things, and those were hot technology back then. All I want to say is this. Larry invested in me, and because Larry's invested in me, I've invested in you, and Larry's invested in you, and I think it has an eternal impact. It's an investment that will matter for all of eternity. But I can tell you for sure, I would not be the same person I am if Larry and Jan hadn't invested in me. And my future and our future together would not have been the same. I mean, think about it. We've been together 29 years in ministry, partnering together. Now, you don't see Larry most of the time because he's many times behind the scenes. He, he, he has the gift of knobs. He loves to turn all, uh, the, the knobs and do all this stuff. But he's spoken truth into my life when truth needs to be spoken. He's held me accountable when someone needs to hold me accountable. He's encouraged me. And, and you know, Larry's not a guy of many words. So um, when he does talk to me about those things, I listen. Because he's invested. We have a history together. We have a life together. And 29 years sounds like a long time, but measure that against eternity. The investment you make in people's lives, it's going to matter. It matters. And what greater investment could you make than in the life of a person? Third point, and here's where I want to just camp for just a minute before we finish, is this. Relationships in heaven are better than we can imagine. Relationships in heaven are better than we can imagine. There's this passage, this really interesting passage in Matthew chapter 22, where the Sadducees, which is a religious group, remember they're the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, in our minds, many of us, we just lump them together. Oh, they're Jewish leaders in the Bible, Sadducees and Pharisees. But they were really different. 
As a matter of fact, they were rival gangs. I mean, it's like West Side Story. Uh, but they're rival groups within Judaism. And the Sadducees had come to Jesus because they had this theological question that they really didn't care about, but they're just trying to trip him up. The Sadducees were more of, in some ways, the, the financially elite and educated. They, they, they had some ideas that were very interesting. But one of the things that they, they believed is that there was no resurrection of the dead. They believed that there's a place called Sheol that everybody would go to. And then God would sort some things out. It's a convoluted, complicated system. But so they think, I mean, correct me, they, they've been around, sitting around thinking, let's ask this impossible question of Jesus to get him to admit there's no resurrection of the dead because it's totally ridiculous. Are you following me? They're going to try and trip him up. So they come to him and they said, hey, pretend there's this guy and he's married to this girl and the guy dies. So then his brother marries the girl and then he dies. And then a younger brother marries a girl, and he dies. And a younger brother marries a girl, and he dies. And a younger brother marries. So now they've got these seven brothers who've all been married to this same woman, and now they're all dead, and then she dies. Tell us this, smarty pants. When they go to heaven, whose husband is she going to be? Now, again, they really don't care because they don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. All they're trying to do is to get Jesus to say, you know, you're right, resurrection of the dead, that's a, that's a I, I don't know. Here's what Jesus says to them. He says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God. Well, that's not exactly the response we were looking for. <laughs> he goes on and says, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, because you've asked, I'll tell you. Have you not read that God said to you, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the, living, of the dead, but of the, of the living. So here's what Jesus does. He, he says two things. One, we're going to focus on in just a minute, which is that there's not going to be marriage in heaven. But then he goes on and says, what is wrong with you people? God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, he's using present tense. He's using it as I understand it. He's saying, I am the God of these guys. I am the God of these guys, which means these guys aren't dead and doing nothing. They're in heaven. And then he goes on and says, He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So in times past when I was younger, I looked at this passage and I would say, well, what God is saying is he's more concerned about life than he is about what happens after we're dead. No, no, no. He's saying just the opposite. He's saying, I am not the God. I don't, I don't, I'm not God of dead things. I'm the God of live things. And after you're dead, you're alive. Does that make sense? He's saying, I'm the God of the resurrected and then he, but he does throw this phrase, so I'm, we could talk about that part all day. It's really interesting, but that's not the part I want to talk about. The part I want to talk about is this idea that when we get to heaven, we won't be married. Now, for many of us, this is problematic. This is problematic because the most important relationship we have on this earth today is that of our spouse. 
It's the closest relationship we have. It may be the relationship that causes us the greatest distress. Whatever the case may be, we can't imagine going to heaven and not being married, right? I mean, it's just foreign to us. Well, that just means, you know, heaven is going to be a boring place. No, 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 no. Please listen to me. Whatever relationships are like in heaven, they're better than the best we can think of now. They're better than. The problem is we just can't relate to it. C.S. Lewis in his book Miracles uses this very interesting illustration to talk about this. So uh, just hang with me for a second. And this is C.S. Lewis' illustration. It's not mine, but it's a good one. He says, it's like telling a little boy that the greatest bodily pleasure a person can experience is sexual pleasure. But the little boy can't, he can't relate to it. So his question is, do you get to eat chocolate at the same time? <laughs> to which the person replies, you know you don't eat chocolate at the same time. You don't want to. So now, all the little boy can relate to is not eating chocolate. When anyone says to him, it talks, as he grows up, talks to him about sex, well, it's not eating chocolate. You understand? It's only because he can't relate to this other circumstance. It, that's the way we are when it comes to relationships in heaven. Instead of thinking about the greatness of relationships, we say, well, you know, it's not marriage. We're not going to be married in heaven. I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. But I, I want to combat this heresy that says heaven is boring. Heaven is not good. We're not going to be married in heaven. We're not going to have relationships in heaven. We're not going to do anything in heaven. I think all of those things are untrue. That relationships, whatever they're like, and I can't even begin to, that's not chocolate. You know what I mean? That's the only thing I can relate to is what it's not rather than what it is. Because the Bible is not perfectly clear on what those relationships are going to entail. But whatever they are, they're going to be better than what we have now. The idea being this, invest in relationships now. Because they're eternal, and that eternal friendship, relationship that you have with people now, is not just reaping a harvest today, but for all of eternity. And what's much more important is what takes place in eternity than what takes place now. Paul, back in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 3, says this, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Well, that's not a good way to start, Paul. I mean, you're just basically saying, you're just kids. And he does. You're mere infants in Christ. He, he's saying, you should be more than that, but I can't, you know, I, I got to talk to you like your babies. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. I can see this one. This is me. I can see those people who are saying, I told you I was of Apollos. You know, at this point, I told you, this is why I'm of Apollos. The guy never says anything good about us. He's saying, look, I really care about growing you up. I want you to grow up. You're not, that's why I'm writing to this about Apollos and me. And he ends the chapter by saying this, so then no more boasting about men. All things are yours. 
whether Paul or Apollos. And now he's, he's pulling Peter in out of the blue. Because some people may even be saying, ah, you know, I'm, I'm really not Paul. I'm going to go even higher, the rock. I'm going to go to Cephas. And then he goes on and he says, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all or are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. I mean, this is a high calling, he's saying to us. He's saying, look, don't worry about how you got to where you are. Thank the people that have blessed you, but now you're of Christ. And he lists five things that most people focus all their time on. The world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. Those are things that many of us spend all of our time focused on. The world, accumulating things. Life, how am I going to live this life? I want to protect my life. I want to protect my children. I want to protect this. I want to protect that because that's life. Or death, I'm, I'm worried about death. I don't know what's going to happen after death. I'm going to, it causes great fear and great distress in me. Or the present, I'm going to live for the moment. I'm going to seize everything I can because the present is all I have. Or the future. I'm really worried about the future. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to retire. Things are not like what I think they're going to be. What am I going to do? And Paul is saying, look, everything is yours in Christ. It's all his. Relax. Take a breath. God's in control of the world. He so loved the world, he gave his only son. God is in control of your life. You're, live your life to glorify him. Death is just a portal, a gateway into the eternal, if you know Jesus. The present is to be lived glorifying God, building relationships, and being his ambassadors to the world around us. And the future is in his hands, if we'll allow it to be there. All things are yours. And you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. I was reading um, this past week, really, I'm doing some research for the, the sermon this morning, and I, I came across the story again of Jim Baker. Now, for those of you who are older like me, you probably remember the story of, story of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Um, they were... You know, cable TV, I, I hate to give a history lesson for those that are young, but there wasn't always cable TV. You know, like when I was little, three channels. And you actually had to get up and walk across the room to change a channel. We were in better shape back then because <laughs> uh, we were getting up all the time to go change the channel. Or our parents just ordered us around. Bark, go change the channel kind of thing. <laughs> You know, your, your remote was your child, if you were lucky. <laughs> then cable TV comes along, and the channels expand, and they're looking for stuff to fill channels. And praise God, in some senses, Christians were there to step in the void. And one of the biggest couples that really came onto the scene in the 70s was the Bakers. Now, um, by the middle 80s, they were a big deal. PTL... Praise the Lord. Their show was on almost every cable outlet somewhere in the country. They'd built a big amusement park in the Carolinas. 
they had uh, amassed really a fortune. Um, I, I, this is just my honest response. I couldn't stand the bakers. I was really horrible. Now, I'm in my early 20s, so please don't judge me too, too bad. But I always called her, I can't even say her name right, because I called her Tammy Bay Faker all the time. <laughs> because she would always cry like at the drop of a hat. And I'm like, she's not for real. I know, I'm horrible. Y'all are better Christians than me. And I'm so grateful to be a part of you uh, for that. By the mid-'80s... Um, there's some investigations, some reports that have come out. The sexual impropriety we see in the world around us today, and you know, even this week, um, is, is it's nothing new. Uh, a woman came out accusing Jim Baker of having had sex with her in a hotel room, drugging her, then her getting paid off to the tune of a quarter of a million dollars. We're talking like 1980s money, um, quarter of a million dollars. The whole story blew up. Um, now the bakers were being investigated for financial impropriety. It was, it was learned they had taken millions of dollars from the ministry, put it in their own pockets. They had sold condos in this. It, it, it was just convoluted. It was, it was a mess. They resigned, of course, um, thinking that they were going to take the ministry back over. Someone else stepped in. Actually, Jerry Falwell took over the ministry, which seems like, like two divergent Groups at the time, you're like, Jerry Falwell, second over PTL? At the time, we just blew our heads because they're like on opposite extremes. But Bakers saw Jerry Falwell as someone who's prominent, who would hold it for a short time, give it some stability. Then when the whole storm blew over, then they would come back in. Well, what they didn't know was um, um, Jerry Falwell did not think highly of the Bakers. He eventually said of Jim Baker that he is a cancer and a scar on the face of Christianity unlike anything we've seen for 2,000 years. A little harsh. Jim Baker went to trial, went to jail, uh, originally sentenced to 45 years in jail for fraud. Um, it was eventually reduced to eight years. Jim Baker writes in his biography that when he was at the lowest of the low, he was no longer Jim Baker, he was just a number, a prison number. A guard came to him and said, hey, you've got a guest, you've got a visitor. And Jim Baker said he was just, he wanted to die. If he could have died, he would have died in there. Now again, a lot of problems here, but... Jim Baker comes out into the waiting room and he said he couldn't believe what he saw. That in the waiting room was Billy Graham, who was like the evangelist. Now, they both lived in Carolina. And he said, Billy Graham stood up and he held out his arms to me and he said, Jim, come here. And he gave him a hug and said, I love you. And he said... It's the moment that he said, honestly, it changed my life unlike any other moment. That the guy who's the greatest evangelist would come to see me when I was at my lowest in prison and just give me a hug and tell me he loved me. When he got out of prison, the Billy Graham ministry actually allowed Jim Baker to live in a house that they owned for three years and gave him a car to drive. Now again, Jim Baker and Billy Graham could not be, I mean, more different more respected, more 
I mean, for Billy Graham to step even into this arena would be, is putting his reputation on the line. To even step in, to talk to him, to have said. But you know what? To me, it, it, it exemplifies the Christian life. This is what we're about. Where we step into people when they're fallen and a mess and probably potentially headed to death in so many different ways and say, God loves you and I love you. Why is this such a big deal? Because it matters for eternity. It doesn't just matter for this week or next week or the week after. It matters for all time. Every person you lock eyes with when you leave this place is a person that Jesus died for. And their eternity lies in the balance. What are you going to invest in today? Where are you going to give your time? Where are you going to give your resources, your money, your gifts, your talents? Where, where are you going to invest those things? I want to encourage you to invest in the kingdom of God. To invest in the people of God. Invest in the proclamation of the word of God to the world around us. Because it'll matter for it'll matter for all of eternity. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We glory in your name. You are a great God. God, I can't even get over the idea that you love me so much that you would send Jesus to die for me. So that I could have a relationship with you. Not just for today that my life would be good, but for all of eternity. And God, you, you, you called us together to love one another and care for one another and stand in the gap when we're a mess. Lord, forgive me where I've not done that well. Forgive us where at times rather than exemplifying love, we've called people names. We've judged them. We've isolated them. We've separated from them. And instead, Lord, may we see the eternal potential in every person. Open our eyes to see, God, that the fields are indeed white unto a harvest. It's a harvest you've prepared and you've asked laborers, people to be sent into it to, to see others come into this life-saving relationship with you. And I pray, God, we would say, yes, I'm one of those workers. May I love people well. May I speak the truth in love. May I speak, may I just sow seeds of righteousness in the world around me. Thank you, Lord. May we be changed in your presence and as a result see others changed as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a decision.